0: We're good. All right, we are because now, of course, so much distraction. I'm really sorry, but we're just gonna um, take a moment just to kind of get quiet on the inside. Just you know, just really focus in on God. So I just want you to close your eyes for a minute. Just want you to picture yourself with God in His presence. Just all distractions. We just wanna. Take our focus off of everything else that is going on. And, Jesus, we just want to look at you. We just want to spend the next 30, 40 minutes, whatever it is, God, just looking at you today. God, we love you. Thank you Thank for you today. Thank you that we get, that we get to be your God, we get to be family. God, we love this space. We love you. God, we just connect this time to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may open your eyes. <laughs> Alright, so um, we have kicked off our series um, called I Don't Get That, and we just want to thank you so much for your questions and things like that, because you you may have been... Um, Maybe used to religion or exposed to religion, where um, we're not meant to question, where we're not meant to ask questions about God's word, about um, anything that Jesus did, anything that we don't understand. It's sometimes you know we've been taught to just just take it in and do whatever we find you know useful with it. Um, but we actually really think at Lyft that it's important for us to ask questions. The Bible talks about in Philippians continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So, God is actually saying, No, 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 I want you to work out your faith. I want you to read the word. I want you to come with questions. Because it's through this questioning, it's through uh, this actual dialogue with God that he actually gets to have our will align with his, our actions, our behavior align with his, so that he can actually. Bring his purpose, his good, amazing, loving purposes throughout our life. And so, here at Lyft, we encourage questions and we thank you so much for writing in for this series. And we've got some really great stuff that we're going to be talking about. Last week, if you were here, you know, we would have talked about spiritual warfare um, and generational curses, it was so. You know, pretty juicy topics. Um, so, if you didn't manage to catch that, we've got that up on podcast on our website, so you can check that out. Um, but today's uh, topic. So, somebody wrote in with the question about Old Testament law. Um, And the fact that, you know, things can get a little bit confusing. And so what I've interpreted this question to be, and whoever wrote this in, I hope I've interpreted it right for you. But I do believe that God's going to speak this morning anyway, so it's all good. But this question is, which laws in the Bible are we meant to live by? The Old Testaments, New Testaments, or all of them? You know, I really appreciate this question because to me, whoever wrote this in, and, and I think it's a question that we have throughout our lives, it's this question of, God, am I getting this right? Am I, you know, when I read your word, am I understanding this correctly? Because, you know what, it's always, it's always so much better when we understand the brief. It's a tragedy when we misunderstand or misinterpret the brief. Who here has ever tried to put together IKEA furniture? yeah, using directions, using directions. Even with using the directions, I have managed to stuff it up. And so even as we're reading the Word of God, we can actually stuff these things up sometimes. We can actually, you know, get things a little bit wrong and And, you know, recently, uh, for those of you who don't know, I I lecture at a Bible college here in Victoria Park. I have a class of about seven or eight students. And um, we're getting to the point where it's a good idea for me to check in on how they're going with their assessments. Because if it's at this point that they're understanding correctly what the brief is, then they're set. They're ready to go. They can continue throughout the semester. And they're all good. But, you know, there's always one student, and for me, it's this—it's the this same student time and time again, where, you know, he just kind of reads the question and he just does what he thinks is best. It's not really accurate to the question at all. And sometimes I don't even understand how he's arrived at that <laughs> conclusion of what the question is asking him. He, he is just so unbelievably hilarious. He's great. Um but, you know, and I've, I've marked his assignments before, and, and you know, we get to the end of the assessment where he's handed in his assignment, and he gets back this mark, and you can tell that he is just so disappointed. He's disappointed because, yep, he didn't understand the brief at all, um, but... It's kind of like as the dread sets in, you can see on his face that if only he had realised back then or, you know, at least a few weeks ago, he could have tweaked a few things and he would have ended up with this assessment that's a lot more pleasing to him and he would have ended up where he was kind of meant to be a little bit more accurately and I really believe like that scenario kind of reminds me of this question and that if we can just have some tools if we can just have some ways where when we're reading the word of God we can actually interpret it um, more accurately and it's not, God, God doesn't want us to interpret it right just so we can have a parcel mark, uh, you know, on our essay of life. It's not about that at all. It's simply the fact that God has all these laws and things set in place for us to live a life where we maximise life. We maximise the gift of grace and God's love in our lives. God actually puts these things in place for us to benefit it's amazing. So everything that we talk about today, I want you to kind of see it through that filter of it's not a pass or fail mark. It's all about us accessing the life that God has made available to us. So we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this question. But before we get into which laws to observe, it's really important that we actually check our motivation of asking this question in particular. That the motivation isn't for us to get that pass or fail mark it's not actually to you know become righteous but that our motivation is so that we're actually living out our righteousness the bible is so so clear especially in the new testament that it's by Jesus, it's faith in Jesus alone, that we actually are made righteous, that we are made right with God. It's not through our acts. It's not through, um, you know, our achievements or our behaviour or anything. It's actually all through faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 2. The life I now live in the body... I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Try put yourself in that scripture for a minute. The God who loved you and gave himself for you. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So Paul is stressing the importance here that it's not through our obedience to the law that we are saved. That we earn this relationship with God. There's nothing that we can do to actually earn this relationship except to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, to actually accept His gift, that salvation is a gift. There's nothing that we could do, there's nothing that we can kind of, you know, we can accomplish things, but then we can also live a life before Christ that's so opposite to how we would live. All of that doesn't matter. What matters is that we actually come to Jesus and put our faith in Jesus and say, well, Jesus, uh, I'm accepting salvation because of what you've done, not because of what I have done. But, you know, there's always that temptation to be righteous to try get our right standing with God through our own actions. I think throughout our lives even as Christians after you know we've we've come to Jesus and we said yes Jesus I'm a sinner I'm in need of your salvation and I receive this free gift there's always temptation and I believe that the enemy Uh, The enemy of our souls, the enemy of our lives. The Bible talks about him as the devil or Satan. I believe that this is the thing that he wants us to do. He wants us to he wants us to be distracted from actually putting our faith and everything that we have into Jesus. And he tries to say that no, no, no. It's actually through your works. It's actually through your behavior that you gain salvation. But then that leaves us on this tightrope where we're one wrong action, and you know we're off this tightrope. And that's why the bible and the apostles and and the new testament is so strong on the fact that it's only through jesus but we still face that temptation and you know the christians in the early church as well they face that that, that temptation as well we're going to have a look at a passage of scripture in acts chapter 15 and what's going on here is that so basically you have the Jewish people, right? They're the people that live in Israel. And then you have the Jewish Christians. So the Jewish Christians are the ones that have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then you have the Gentiles. The Gentiles are you and I, everyone basically who's not Jewish uh, by birth. I don't know if we have any Jewish by birth people here, Um, but I'm pretty sure we're all Gentiles in this room. Um, But basically what these Jewish Christians were saying and this, mind you, this is when the whole church is being set up. They're asking these questions about how are we saved? How does that actually work? And so they're asking these questions and the Jewish Christians are saying, well, Gentiles, um, you actually need to be circumcised and have faith in Jesus in order for you to be saved. They thought that because the Jewish people were God's first chosen people. And so they thought, you know, if we had to go through circumcision, which was this outward uh, expression of um, being God's people, if we had to go through this, then it means that you actually need to go through this as well um, in order for you to be saved. And so we pick it up here in verse uh, 6 to 11. It says, The apostles and elders met to consider this question, so about circumcision. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. So, here the apostle um, Paul is talking about how, you know, there's evidence that these guys are saved. They're, They're like you and I now. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke or a burden that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we, Jews, are saved, just as they, the Gentiles, are. So the apostles were saying that faith in Jesus is the only way to be saved. However, so this is the interesting part, because they actually write back to the Gentile Christians to say that, you know, it's actually good for you to practice a few things though. There are some things that you would be wise to actually obey and abide by in living out this faith. So let's look at this letter that the apostles wrote to the Gentiles, outlining what they should um, observe says greetings. We have heard that some went out from from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. These Gentile Christians were really troubled. They're like, Well is it circumcision and Jesus or is it just Jesus? <laughs> what is it? So they were troubled by it. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrifice to idols, abstain from blood and from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the apostles were actually saying that God's people are meant to actually live differently. That we have been set apart, we've been, the Bible talks about how we've been made holy, which means that we've been cleansed of sin, so we've been, we've been made new basically, and that we've been um, made holy, and that we are set apart for God, for His purposes. We've been given this new life in God, and there are these things that we should abide by in order to live out and get the most of this life that is different now. You and I, as we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, there's this new life that we've actually claimed, this new life that we've actually stepped into. And the apostles here were saying, so by, by default, you're different now. So it means that you're actually different from the world. And what was happening at the time was that the culture, the people um, in the culture of the day, they were actually, um, they would do these things. They would um, sacrifice food to idols. They would... Um, Uh, there was interference with blood and um, and meat of strangled animals and sexual immorality and things like that and that was going on in the culture of the day but God was saying no 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 because you've been cleansed of your sin and you've been set apart for me you will no longer uh, do those things and and um, involve yourself in those practices but there's this new life that I want you to uh, live out now and so why do we keep some of the laws? Because God's people are different and therefore we live differently to everyone else. The way that God has asked us to live, the laws that we abide by, that's actually just because we've already been set apart and we're living into this new creation that God has called us to be. It distinguishes us from the world around us. And you know, uh, the other day, I got a message from a friend who um, doesn't come to Lyft, but um, she was asking, hey, can I tag along to you, uh, to church with you? And, and she doesn't come from a Christian background. And I believe it's because when she came here before, when she visited Lyft before, it's because she knew there was something different about you and I. She came into this place where it was like a safe haven, where it was just so different. There was a peace here. There was a freedom here. There was a love here that she just couldn't find anywhere else in her world. And so when we abide by laws, we're actually living into who we are in Christ, but it's also because we're different. We're different. But this difference is to be celebrated. It's not a bad difference. It's something that we can, we can actually really, really celebrate. It's a really good difference. So our obedience to the law is not to gain righteousness, but to live out our righteousness. So now let's come back to the main question. What laws do we observe as followers of Christ? How are we meant to know? There are so many different laws. And and I remember Pastor Nate um, speaking on this topic oh, maybe sometime last year. But I remember when he said the amount of laws that there were in the Bible, I was like, whoa, there are so many. And so, you know, if... Um, if you've been a Christian for any more than a week or so, you would have opened up what is called our Bible and you would just be reading through books like Leviticus where it's like, you know, these, these laws are just really weird, first of all. Uh, there are some things in here where I'm like, I don't own any cows or, you know, cattle or sheep or whatever. How does this law, what does that have to do with me? So a way that we can actually understand this is actually to see the different um, laws broken down into their different categories, I guess. And so we've got a table that's going to come up on the screen, which will help us have a look at that. So I hope you guys can see that. It's a little bit small, but um, so we have these different categories of law in the book of Leviticus. And this question, um, whoever wrote it in, they talked about Leviticus in um, particular. So I thought we'd actually go there so we've got the moral law so the moral law is to represent god's moral character so when we look at the moral law when we look at things like the 10 commandments we see god's character in that that he is good that he's amazing then we have the ceremonial law and that is to make atonement for sin, and that points us to Jesus. So basically, what atonement means is to cleanse us, to set us right, to clear us of sin. And as um, we've just explored in the New Testament, is that Jesus is now—he uh, fulfills all the ceremonial laws. He—if you read the book of Leviticus—there are a few key characters in that. There's um, the priest who would basically um, perform the sacrifice, and then there was this the animal that was sacrificed. Normally it was a lamb. But the Bible talks about how Jesus took on both the priest role and the lamb role, that he was um, basically the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And so he fulfills that ceremonial law. And an example of that is in the Passover. So Sandy referenced that while we're taking communion just before. There's also the civil law, so that is regulating the nation of Israel, and the civil law would be very similar to what um, to the rules of the law of our land here in australia it's It's the laws that govern the way that you know we live here the way that you and I relate. That is the civil law um, and an example of that is in deuteronomy twenty two verse eight and it talks about building regulations so these are the three different kinds of laws and as I mentioned um, the ceremonial law that was actually fulfilled by Jesus So it's kind of like when we read the ceremonial laws, it's great to understand the context of what the Israelites were living in, but it doesn't apply to us anymore. What applies to us is faith in Jesus Christ, that our sins have been forgiven, we've been washed clean, we have access to relationship with God now because of Jesus. We don't have to, uh, you know, have all these animals that we need to sacrifice, you don't need to make the trek to the temple and things like that. It's all through a relationship with Jesus, which is just praise God. And then we have our civil law. So like I said, uh, the civil law that we read in the Bible, that would have been for the Israelites themselves. It, it, You know, we would have different laws. We probably have similar laws in that, you know, it talks about not to steal, um, don't covet or don't take from, you know, your neighbour and things like that. That still applies for us today. We can't just go around and do that. Um, So there would be similarities there, but we would ascribe to the Australian law in that kind of a way. So that leaves us with the moral law. That leaves us with laws that reflect God's character. And this is the law that we keep today. And this is because God, when he um, brings us salvation, when he sets us apart, he says, be holy for I am holy. He's telling us this moral law still stands because it's who I am. And in order for you to become like me, you need to know what I look like. And so the moral law actually gives us a picture of what God looks like. And this is actually backed up by the the fact that Jesus quotes the moral law a lot um, when he's teaching his disciples in the New Testament. He'd often quote things like the Ten Commandments and... um, to to teach his disciples, this is what Heavenly Father looks like. And this this is the character, this is the nature that we are to take on as his children. And so what Jesus does though, which is awesome, because we can still look at the Bible, we can still read the laws, the moral law and think there's so many laws still, right? There are all these things that we need to kind of remember and we feel like, I don't, know, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I have a checklist in front of me, it's all about following the checklist and not really seeing the heart behind the checklist. And Jesus didn't want that to be the case for us. He wanted us to really know the heart that was behind the moral law, the ceremonial and the civil law. And so we're going to check out what, what Jesus um, actually summarised the heart of the law to be. Um, so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 22. Um, and this is where Jesus is um, is talking to his disciples about the different laws. And um, I want to stress that Jesus uh, articulates the law into three different commandments because these three commandments capture all of the law. So they don't do away with it. Sometimes we're taught, ah, you know, it's irrelevant. But actually Jesus says, well, all the law I've actually summarised to mean this and to have this heart and that when we live out these three commandments, we're accidentally fulfilling all the law. That's how one scholar puts it and I really loved it. We're accidentally fulfilling all the law when we focus in on these three. So what are they? So Matthew 22, Jesus is being asked by the experts in the law, which are the greatest commandments? Jesus quotes the Old Testament scripture and says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. The entire law, so this is Jesus saying what we've just spoken about, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So you're saying, hang on, back. you mentioned three commandments. Jesus talks about two here. That's right. So Jesus actually adds a third commandment and he calls this a new commandment. He does this when he's having uh, the Last Supper with his disciples. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to take on our sin and our shame on the cross. He's about to die in our place and then rise again. And it's at this point, because you know what, through I kind of, God kind of put this in my mind that it was after the cross that the church would be established. That that this new, um, uh, this new demographic would be born. And so they actually needed a new commandment. Just as Israel had its civil law um, and ceremonial laws and all the different laws, this new, um, uh, this church, his bride, actually needed a law. And so he adds this new commandment. And he says in John 13, verse 34, So now I am giving you a new commandment love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. So Jesus wraps up the heart of the ceremonial law, the heart of the civil law, and God's moral character all to mean love. The heart of it all is love. The heart is to love God with every fibre of our being, to love our neighbour as ourself and to love one another as Christ loved us. That's what it all comes down to. And, you know, when I think about that, let that just kind of sit with you for a moment. Just think about that. Of all the commandments, of all the things that God could have left us with, you know in terms of Jesus being here on earth what he brings us back to is love he could have commanded us to sacrifice you know all these different things that that's the first priority for you to show me love but no he just he just simply says love me love your neighbor and love each other i don't think there's a greater purpose that we could ever have for our life, right? Other than to love. I don't think there's a greater set of commandments. I don't know about you, but there's no greater set of commandments or rules that I want to live my life by than love. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing that God has given us and requires of us. And you know, some of us just as we come into church life as um, you know, maybe because of different backgrounds and things like that and and you just believe that Well, God requires so much of you, and it's hard to see that He's actually a really beautiful, loving, gracious God, that He would just call you to lay down your life for love. You know, sometimes it's hard for us to see that, but I hope this morning that's what you see, that when God calls you to a life in Him, it's actually to a life of love. It's to be love and to give love and to really experience God's love. That's what it comes down to. It's such a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. And, you know, we experience the best of this in that, It's awesome coming to church. It's awesome uh, singing praises to God. And the band and the team, the tech team, did such a wonderful uh, uh, thing just facilitating that for us. They led us so beautifully. You know, we get to enjoy those things. We get to enjoy singing in our car, just praise and love songs to God. Uh, We get to enjoy praying with our family and really just loving on God that way. We, We get to do it and it's awesome. It's such an enjoyable thing to do, to love God. And then there's love. Our neighbours, you know, something that um, Pastor Nate and I did when we moved into our house in Carlisle—we baked brownies for our neighbours. We thought, hey, let's love on them. Let's give them a yummy gift. You know, not many people turn you. Um, away if you give them brownies, um, and it just makes their day. And so it was great. We loved on our neighbours, and it was such an enjoyable thing. We we felt really blessed after that as well. And then loving one another, each other. I don't know about you, but whenever I come to lift, I'm just like, it's filled with amazing people. Each and every one of you are just so beautiful and so awesome. And I just love the fact that I get to come to church on Sundays and meet with you during the week. And it's just a great time because you're all so wonderful. So it's easy to love each other in that kind of a way. But you know, as much as there's that great glorious side to love, there's also the dark side. And I see a few smiles around this, this room because you know that love can be the most difficult thing that you actually do. As much as God calls us to a life of enjoying love, love is also Hard work. It is hard work. You know, it's hard to love God sometimes. Why? Because we want to be our own boss. We want to be our own master. We we want to do things our own way. But God says to love me, you have to actually obey me. And so it's really hard. I don't know about you, but I, I wrestle with that. I think we always wrestle for that that sense of control. I want to master my own life and just do life my own way. But God says Uh -uh. loving me is obeying me and that's a difficult thing to do and then there's loving our neighbor so our neighbor when we talk about it in this scripture, it's actually not just the neighbours within our vicinity. Like maybe you've got some really great neighbours and that's awesome. We've had a tough time with our neighbours. Josh isn't here, but you know, his car was broken into recently. And then and then like early in the morning, some of our neighbours were partying it up and the music was just going. And then this guy started, I don't know at what time it was, maybe 1am, but he was like, whoop, whoop 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 like constantly constantly and I was like oh my gosh it's hard to love you right now I actually ended up calling the police because I was like I've had enough <laughs> so if you move in next to me and have parties at 2 a.m in the morning where the music is blaring, I will call the police on you but that's because I love you and I love our neighborhood I love that we can have some sleep amen <laughs> So it's hard sometimes to love our neighbours. But what this passage is actually talking about isn't the neighbours in our vicinity. It's the people who are in our lives who actually don't know Jesus yet. It's the people, you know, um, because we're different, because we, like I said, we've been set apart, because we have this faith in Jesus, we can sometimes clash with people who don't have that foundation to their life. We can get hurt, like my emojis there. We can get hurt, we can get angry, we can get sad um, because of just the differences and, and the people that we encounter. And I know, well, I certainly hope that for most of the time, your neighbour is actually a really easy people and persons to love. But for me, I've been, you know, hated and discriminated to my face for having a faith in Jesus. And it's actually really hard to love, to turn the other cheek and to bless people and pray for people when, when they're treating me like that. I don't know, maybe I'm the only human one here, but I don't think so. <laughs> and then of course, loving each other in the family of God. You know a beautiful thing that I love about Lift is that we take doing life seriously. We love our small groups and I know that you guys love our small groups. Um, We love meeting together and doing life together and and talking through difficult things and we are always going to have arguments, we're always going to have differing opinions, we're always going to some at some point mistreat one another and hurt each other and I think it's because we're in the family of God that our heart breaks even more you know you can be hurt by somebody who isn't a part of your family but when it's family that hurts you the heartbreak is all the worse right so that's the difficult side of love and then we forget as well that the that scripture says that we are to love each other as Jesus loved us you know that Jesus died right So us loving each other means actually dying to ourselves, living a life of sacrificial love for each other. This is so hard to do. (laughs) So hard to do. But you know, God hasn't left us without help. He sees the beautiful side of love that we get to live out, that we get to experience, and he's just like, just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. That's what I want you to do. But then he sees the times of struggle as well. And he gives us help because, because the thing is this, if we give our lives to a life of love, then we are going to be the solution for a hurting world. And that's why God says, I'm going to help you when you struggle with love, because I want you to be able to live out this life of love. So I'm going to help you out. And he helps us out. By giving us these two tools, he gives us many tools, but the couple that I want to talk about today is confession and repentance. He gives us confession and repentance. How does this all work in this? Well, studies have shown that if we find it hard to love others. If we're thinking negatively about someone, if we're gossiping about someone or, or mistreating them, it's often because we don't like that very thing about ourselves. We're actually struggling to love ourselves. And so if we're able, if we're even going to be able to give love, then we actually need to learn to love ourselves. And what confession and repentance does, it actually allows us to see ourselves how God sees us. And I know for some of us, That's a scary thought because you know that God sees everything. So you're like, God, I I, I don't want to confess my sin. I don't want to repent. I don't want to have this space with you because I don't want you to see me for who I truly am. There's all of this sin. There's this stuff that I've done. There's these things that I still don't do that I know I should do. I don't want you to see all that. But that's not the kind of person that God sees when he looks at you. He sees Jesus. Jesus. He sees purity. He sees a holiness that sometimes we forget, that often we forget to see ourselves in. He sees Jesus when he looks at us. And so when we are confessing our sin, when we are repenting of it, we're actually inviting God to have a look at our sin with us. He's not against us, but he's examining this with us. And he says, My child, I've called you to be this. This is who you really are. And so when we can see who we really are in Jesus, then we can actually see sin for what it really is as well. We see sin in that it is dirty, that it is a distraction, that it is a distort distortion of who we really are. And that's what makes it so much easier to turn from and walk the other way. That's what repentance is. It it simply means literally I see my sin. I don't want that anymore. That's not me. That's not who I am becoming in Christ. That's not the pure and holy person that God has called me to be. I'm going to turn my back and I'm going to walk the other way and I'm going to become, continue to become the person that God has created me to be. That's the beauty of confession and repentance. You know, every single Sunday, we give an opportunity for us to confess our sin, to repent and to give our lives to Jesus afresh, to actually say, you know what, God, I'm done with that kind of life. I wanna live a life unto you. And in the ways, in the laws of love, that's the life I wanna live. But you know... I really believe that God actually wants us to have a lifestyle of that. It's not just waiting for every Sunday to actually come and confess us in and repent, but He wants us to, to be able to do that whenever we need to. In fact, I believe that if we can make it a daily practice, that we would begin becoming more and more of who God's called us to be a lot quicker, a lot sooner. He can actually help us in that journey and that process. And so this morning, I actually prepared... Um, It's just a little slip of paper, about that big, uh, that you can take from the host team on your way out, but it's an exercise of confession and repentance. It's something that you can do when you get a quiet moment in your week, that you can actually read through this, and like I said, it's only a few different steps. But I believe that because it's so powerful, because it's us examining who we are has how God sees us, I believe it's something that God actually wants us to practice a lot more frequently than we do. And so I wanted to give you that tool. I didn't want to tell you just how great it is and then kind of leave you to figure it out. I've given you an example there that you can take home and use. But you know right now we are going to have that moment where we're going to come to God, we're going to confess that we are sinners, that we have sinned, but we're going to turn to his grace. Amen. And so I would love for you to just repeat this prayer after me. You can close your eyes and bow your head. You can repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry that I've sinned against you and against others. I don't want to live this way any longer. Thank you for your forgiveness and your grace to help me to change. I want to live for you and like you. In your name I pray, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up to date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.